1: It's the Beckler and Shauna podcast, your daily download of X92 Nights, X Mornings with Beckler and Shauna. Brought to you by Shane Homes, offering affordable customization on your new home.
0: It's Friday, February 2nd, 2024. I'm Beckler, and this is your end of the week Beckler and Shauna PissCast. Without Shauna today, she is en route to Japan right now. Hopefully, her travels are going smoothly. Oh, she was very excited for that trip. I was excited for her. That's a cool trip. And you are going to hear Shauna. A couple times on this show I included What did you learn today From yesterday Which Shauna is on Just because I thought It was a good one Maybe you'd want to hear it Uh, Also Shauna appears To do a snobs with me I'm reading this book right now Where the author is predicting The decline of human civilization In the next few decades And it's super dark But I want to talk a bit About doomsday predictions I wrote a parody All about mini sticks My boys and I Have been playing mini sticks Hard at the house Actually uh We're going for dinner tonight at uh, some friends of ours, and my my buddy, he built this incredible mini-sticks rink for his kids in the basement. It's made of puckboard, but the coolest thing is that it collapses, like it collapses down and packs flat so that they can take it to hockey tournaments when they go. So this parody is about mini-sticks, and then if he's cool with it tonight, I think I'm going to shoot a quick video for it in his mini-sticks arena. I'll be honest with you, I don't think I've ever said this on the air before. I'm not crazy about parody songs. Like, they're not really something that I particularly enjoy listening to, but people seem to love them. Whenever Sean and I do them, we get a huge reaction to it, so we continue to do it. Um, So that's on today's podcast. I stressed long and hard last night about whether to talk about the big news in Alberta this week, that the government is making some changes to policy as it relates to trans youth And I was like, man, if I talk about this, am I taking my career in my hands here? Because that's about as fine, about a tight, as tightrope as you could ever walk. But I don't want to be the kind of show that backs down from that stuff out of fear. So we are going to talk about that on the show today. I shared my thoughts and then got a bunch of different perspectives from other people. So you'll hear all that uh, around the middle of today's podcast. But I've rambled on long enough. Let's get into it. You're out of context clip. The Beckler
1: and Shauna Podcast.
0: One thing that I think social media has done is make it obvious to many of us how truly average most of us are. Because there is endless content available from people who are the very best at what they do. And there's a good chance that you are not the very best at whatever it is you do. I know I'm not. Whatever your thing is, right? Whether your your job or your hobby or whatever it is, I bet if you search your hobby, you will find tons and tons of people who are so much better than you at it. And it's just a numbers game, right? Like if you, let's say you grew up in a small town and you were known as the dancer in your small town. You were the girl who was really good at dance or you're the guitar guy at your high school. You were the best guitar player in your high school. Well, you're not the dancer or the guitar guy in the rest of the world. Music, I think I use guitar because music is maybe the best example. There is this drummer on TikTok and Instagram. His videos are all over the place. You may have even seen them. Uh, the Spanish dude goes by the name Estepario Siberiano, And he is like next level. He is so absurdly talented. I have one of his clips here for you. A lot of his videos, he's showing off how he can play one-handed. So at the, he'll be like, playing an incredibly complex drum part and drinking a coffee or reading a book with the other hand. So in this video, uh, the clip I'm gonna play for you, he starts off smoking a joint with one hand and then he picks up his other stick and finishes the clip. Listen to this. And then he can groove, too. He's, he's got it all. Or like this uh, this bass player I came across the other day. I'd never seen this guy. Just came down my feed. 190,000 followers. His name's Charles Berth- Berthode. And he might be one of the best bass players I've ever heard in my life. Listen to this. <laughs> bass does that not make you want to put the bass guitar down and never pick it up again
1: the Beckler and Shauna podcast if you
0: have a heart I think this clip I'm going to play for you in just a moment is going to break it <laughs> like it did for me um, Shauna and I do a segment called what are you grateful for it was inspired by her family it's basically just counting your blessings uh, if things are especially when like the news is dark and stuff. We, uh, we like to do this exercise just to think about the good things. Um, and one thing that I'm very grateful for is that this, uh, this job allows me to be home every night, to be home with my family every night. It's very valuable. And if you talk to anybody or if you yourself have experienced having to work away from your family, work away from home, it really takes a toll on people. And there's a lot of value in a job that allows you to be to be home. I've even heard friends of mine say, well, you know, I, I got a contract in the city and it doesn't pay as much as if I were to To fly up north or whatever but it allows me to be home every night and that's worth a lot so i understand that of course the extreme end of this would be something like a military family where someone has gone for a year at a time into a dangerous situation that would be incredibly difficult but if you get to sleep in your own bed and you know if you have kids get to tuck them in every night that's pretty important Uh, another job that i hadn't really thought about in terms of being away from your family is if you work for an airline if you're a pilot or a flight attendant uh, a friend of mine is uh, a is a pilot for I think he's with I think he's with WestJet in town here, um, but his wife posted this video yesterday of her two daughters and her standing on the front steps and it's dark out, and up in the sky she's filming the sky and you can see the little dot of a plane up there, and the girls are saying goodnight to their dad up in the sky. What is it? If I was their dad and saw that video during the flight, I think I'd be turning that plane back around.
1: The Flagler and Shauna Podcast.
0: Something we've talked a lot about on this show is the future of vehicles and what will power them. The rise of electric vehicles. Will gas and diesel engines be around in X number of years? There are even, I know some companies that are looking at hydrogen as a potential fuel source. What about propane vehicles? I don't think we've ever talked about propane vehicles. I was following a school bus yesterday with one of those green stickers on the back and it said clean air vehicle, propane powered, or powered by propane or whatever it is. Like, sign me up. Maybe I'll become a big propane vehicle guy. Hey, that's a bit of a, a niche, bit of a different approach to it. Everyone's over here arguing about EVs and gas vehicles and oil. Be I'm propane, propane, baby. How many, how many hectares do the leader does that thing get? Propane is also the best smelling fuel Wouldn't you agree The smell of like propane itself Reminds me of barbecuing You're telling me you wouldn't want to drive around in a barbecue wagon I bet you would Every time you fill up it smells like a beautiful summer evening I mean sure with your propane vehicle You're not allowed in underground parking or anything But that's a small price to pay to be weird and different The Beckler and Shauna Podcast So the province's new uh, gender identity policy (laughs) Oh boy Is he going to talk about it? He is going to talk about it. Yes, we've uh, never been the type of show that has shied away from the tough topics, and we don't intend to start now. Now, a big part of this policy involves the medical side of things, hormones and surgeries and that. And I don't know nearly enough about the, the process of transitioning medically to talk about that. And besides, I believe that that is between a doctor and their patient and the patient's family and not me. So I won't comment on that, but I will speak to the other big part of this policy announcement, uh, and that's the, the parental notification part, uh, the responsibility of schools to inform parents if their child is using a different pronoun or a different name in class. And that's got a lot of people fired up. I have two kids in school, so that one feels at least a little bit closer to, to me. I, f- I first want to say that I believe when someone comes out and who they come out to, is their own decision entirely. Whether that person is an adult or a kid, maybe they want to come out to everyone all at once. Maybe they don't want to come out to anyone. Maybe they only want to come out to some people. It's really none of my business. That is their choice. I also think the idea of a school keeping secrets from parents doesn't sit right with me. You know, we just did parent-teacher interviews for our own kids, both of our kids. And, you know, where you go sit in the tiny little chairs in front of the teacher's desks. And we wanted to know everything about how they're doing academically, socially, behaviorally. And as a parent, you expect to get the full picture from your kid's teacher. Now, if one of our kids was using an entirely different name in class, that's something you might want to know. And it seems very hard to square those two beliefs, the belief that a person's sexual orientation and gender identity is their own to do with what they will. And that as a parent, you want to know what's happening with your kid. I I don't know if you can square those two things. And of course, I say this hoping as parents, my wife and I have fostered the kind of environment in our house where our kids would be comfortable telling us everything. Ideally, that's what you want. But I know that's not the case for every kid. And I've read a lot of opponents this week, arguments from opponents to this policy, saying that outing a kid to an unaccepting parent could put them at risk for violence, which is just a nightmare scenario, right? And I would hope that if a school had even the slightest suspicion that a kid was in danger at home, that they would be doing more than just keeping a secret. They would be involving Child Protective Services, no? No for whatever reason, right? Like, let's let's say there's a lunatic parent who expects their kids to have perfect grades, and if the kid doesn't get good grades, that there is the risk of abuse. Would we just not send the report cards home, or would we involve the authorities? I would hope it would be the latter. And I realize that's not a perfect analogy, and I also realize that there is a lot of space between full acceptance and violence. So where is the balance between respecting everyone's right to be who they want to be, And the school's job to keep uh, us parents informed as to what our kids are up to when we send them there all day. I do agree, however, with the assertion that I've seen floating around this week that the timing of this announcement is political. That it's being used as a political tool, whether it's meant to distract us from something. I don't know what that is. Take your pick of the provincial government's recent shortcomings. I've heard some people pointing to the drought in Alberta, this water shortage in Edmonton. That one doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because it's not like the premier controls how much snow we get. But I have no doubt that this announcement is is a fire that's been deliberately set to get us to look over here, over here and not over there. It's just unfortunately the fuel for this fire is vulnerable kids.
1: Podcast.
0: Well, I'm I'm still employed, so uh talking about that didn't yet cost me my job. I was incredibly nervous to even delve into this topic just because it is so, so radioactive. People have such strong opinions both ways. I was like, man, is there anything you can say that isn't going to get you in trouble? I'm sure I will receive some angry emails from from some people. Sometimes they go through our boss first. People will go directly to the source. I've been getting lots of angry emails lately. I don't know if the show has been particularly spicy, but uh, yeah, I've been... (laughs) I said been rustling some jimmies. But no, I didn't get any angry messages so far. So far what I've received are some long and really well thought out perspectives on this that I hadn't really considered. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to read a few of these to you. I want to start with this one and I'm going to leave all these people anonymous just in case they don't want their names out there. But this person said, Hey, I'm glad you guys are standing with inclusion. I know you said you don't know much about transitioning. I'll keep that point at denying a child health care is cruel period. As for the school point, I've had many people in my life who weren't safe at home and had teachers who were cruel and happy to make it worse. My partner went to Catholic school and had teachers who do things that they knew would result in violence at home. Not everyone has kids' best interests in mind. Some want to contribute to a child's suffering. The important thing with this policy is intent. The intent is not to keep parents well-informed and involved with their children. It's to force innocent kids to suffer until they stop existing one way or the other. And I said to this person in response, I said, "I'm, I'm very sorry that you had that experience growing up with adults who didn't have your best interest in mind, who weren't concerned with your safety, who, you know, in the, the case of this person's partner, it sounds like actively wanted to cause them harm. I went to a Catholic school, too, and I didn't run into any teachers who were nearly that malicious, but everyone's experiences are different. I said, I don't think I, uh, but I can't come all the way to believing that the people who are putting these policies in place want to harm the children. Like that, I think only the rarest and worst form of psychopath on earth actually wants to see Children suffer and die. That's a pretty rare thing, and I don't believe that we're being governed by people like that right now. But I went back and forth with this person a little bit, and they did have one really good line at the end. They said, I guess it's less an argument of how good parents will be affected and more of how bad parents will be enabled. And I think if you're the type of person that is hoping to effect change when it comes to this policy, if you actually want to see a difference, that's the better approach. To say it's not about how good parents will be affected, it's about how bad parents will will be enabled. That's something I think everybody can appreciate, whereas like trying to, to get people to, to believe that active harm towards children is the goal, that's a tall order. That seems pretty extreme to me. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I got this message from a friend of the show. This one's a little bit longer, too. It said... Just want to say your opinion on the trans kids legislation was very well said and very hard waters to navigate for sure. As a gay man who came out later in life at 24 years old in a small town, I would be devastated if a teacher who maybe was gay themselves and therefore I confided in them about my own struggles would have outed me to my parents. My dad to this day is only coming around with my sexuality, but I'm at an age where it's either take it or leave it. But to be back in elementary and high school would have made my journey even harder, I'm sure of it. Also, my partner was outed by a fellow classmate and his parents found out, and although there was no violence, they were deeply religious and basically kicked him out of the house and made him homeless, which has had lasting emotional trauma to this day. So long story short, even I don't know the answer, but I feel the government should not have gotten involved with this matter because it isn't a blanket you can throw over slash apply to every situation. So again, a perspective that maybe you hadn't fully considered, like I hadn't fully considered, so I appreciate that message as well. And then one more that I want to share from you here, this one's from a teacher. Uh, Where did this go? This person said, thank you for your complete honesty about this incredibly touchy subject. As a teacher, I've been forced to keep things quiet about pronouns and names and have had to catch others' mistakes when they're writing report cards or individualized plans where they've accidentally leaked the name. And you're so right about the fact that if there is some concern about what's going on at home, further intervention should happen. I had one student whose mom was okay with things, but dad wasn't. So I had to always make sure I used the name they were born with with the parents, but with the student a different name, and I was terrified to slip up because I didn't want to get this poor child in trouble. They have since changed their mind and are back to their birth name and original pronouns. Uh, It was a year of being addressed the other way, so things change on a dime. I had kids in grade 10 asking how they could go about obtaining hormone therapy and wondering how it would impact their fertility. It was one of the most stressful times in my teaching career and I've been at it for a while. In a group of 30 students, I had three non-binary students in a room full of rough and tough ranch kids too. I felt like every conversation that came up was me having to navigate a million quick and appropriate responses within seconds. It was truly challenging. It felt that there was no right way to go about things. I just wanted to say thank you for that insightful response. Uh, And thank you for the the perspective Perspective from someone who's dealing with a classroom full of kids. I mean, I even, I've talked before on this show about how difficult the questions my own kids ask me are. And to be in the shoes of a teacher who has a room full of kids asking these tough questions, and then you just stack all that on top of the regular stresses that come with any job, come with a job like teaching. Holy man. So anyway, um, I, I mean, I learned a bit reading some of these messages. Um, gave me a bit to think about. And there are very few of my opinions that I'm like absolutely married to. I'm I'm open to hearing why I might be wrong. I think that's the whole purpose that we have conversation. If not, we're just we're just talking. <laughs> right? if, we're, if we're just talking and not listening, then it's kind of a waste of time. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you for allowing me to dive into rough waters on this show when the need arises. And thank you to Shane Holmes, who have been a staple In Calgary, for four decades now, they've built over 15,000 homes. 15,000 families in this city are living in Shane Holmes' homes. That is quite an impact. Never mind all the the great philanthropic work they've done in the city as well. If you're considering a new home, consider Shane Holmes, Shane Holmes. I will let you finish the tagline.
1: The Beckler and Shauna Podcast.
0: If you grew up around hockey, or if you spend any time around hockey, you're probably familiar with mini sticks. Usually played in a basement with small plastic sticks or in uh, hotel hallways at a hockey tournament before the hotels all banned them. My boys and I are big into it right now. My brothers and I played it growing up. Every mini sticks game I think ever ended in a fight. I don't think anybody ever really won or lost. It was just there was a fight and then some crying and then that's when the game ended and then we play again the next day. (laughs) But uh, it's definitely mini stick season at our house right now. And so I rejigged Noah Kahn's hit song in honour of mini-stick season. And it's just like Puck but it's the one with little sticks it's still just as fun as you thought when you were six and I'm a grown ass man I should go easy on my kids but I want that cup so I'm throwing dirty hits and now mom says boys wrap it up time for food we say next goal wins cause it's tied to two then a fight breaks out like it always do and I Swear I'll never play with you
1: I'm never playing with you again The Beckler and Shauna podcast
0: I'm listening to this audiobook right now by a guy named Peter Zayn, And it's called The End of the World is Just the Beginning And this is a dark listen, let me tell you Because he's talking about how he thinks The best times for humanity are behind us They have all come and gone the last 70 years That was the peak And going forward, things are going to get a lot worse and stay that way. And he points to declining population in some of the the major superpowers around the world. Uh, He points to the potential for uh, destabilizing of of global shipping and what that could mean for countries that don't produce everything within their borders, which is most countries these days. He thinks the United States will be slightly insulated. Just because of their geography and their demographics and stuff, but this is not a a read for the faint of heart like if you're at all prone to getting bummed out or pessimism or anything like that, I wouldn't recommend it because it's heavy but i so I'm going through this audiobook and I'm thinking, man, is it really going to be that bad? So I went to read some reviews to see if any smart people had pushed back against what he's saying in this audiobook, and a lot of people did. For various reasons and I came across in my reading I came across this one comment where someone was saying that you know for for thousands of years people have predicted the decline of humanity predicted the end of the world and it basically never comes true we're all we're all still here right every prediction that has been made about the end of the world up till this point has been wrong so odds are odds are Peter Zane's wrong on this one too and there's actually a a Wikipedia page called list of dates predicted for apocalyptic events And there are so many entries on this page dating back thousands and thousands of years. And of course, none of them came true. It kind of reminds me of how there used to be this page online, and I can't find it anymore. But it cataloged all the things that were supposed to have happened due to climate change by now. And it was highlighting how the dates had come and gone and the predictions had been wrong. And that's not to say that climate change isn't a real issue. We shouldn't take it seriously. Only that the most dire predictions, they grab headlines, but they're usually wrong. If you listen to X 92, nine back in 2012, before my time here, that was when the year was the world was supposed to end because of the Mayan calendar and the people working here at the time poked a lot of fun at that, did a whole thing about it. Um, A woman I know actually told me about this time last year that the world was going to end in April of last year, that God was coming to save his chosen people and rapture everyone else. And only the people who knew his real name would be saved. And that his real name was Yahoo. So I don't know. I don't know anybody that got raptured. I don't think everybody knew that his name was Yahoo, but we're all still here and the world has not ended. So I wonder, wonder how she's doing the next one on this list. The next uh, doomsday prediction is coming up on November 13th, 2026. There was uh, an Austro Austrian American scientist back in 1960 who predicted that date as the end of the world due to overpopulation. So you got less than two years to get your affairs in order, and then, uh, then it's all over. The Beckler and Shauna Podcast. Justin from Max Middays and our producer Manning are in studio. I have another difficult sports quiz for you guys. Oh, 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 bring it on. When Shauna goes away, I like to, to hit you guys with these, so we'll see how you do today. Uh, in the Big Four North American Sports Leagues, there are 11 teams whose current logo features a bird. Oh. Can you name all the teams with bird logos? We'll give you like a minute and a half. Let's go. Okay. Penguins, Cardinals. Pen- yes. Blue Jays. Yes. Okay. Those are the three that are... Orioles. Me. Orioles. Falcons. Four. Falcons, five. Uh, the Hawks. Uh, yeah. In the NBA, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the Pelicans. Six, seven. Seven. Uh, does the red wings count? It doesn't, and I thought about going bird parts uh, <laughs> like parts of birds uh, because the red wings have a wing, yeah. The, the blues Orioles? have a wings, ducks. Uh, Justin said the Justin Orioles. the oils, the ducks. ducks have a foot. Their current logo oh, is the foot, logo. it's not the duck oh, mask. Oh, uh, it's not actually okay, yeah. Okay, so that doesn't count, even though the team oh, is named after birds. Eagles, yes. Uh, you are missing. <sighs> You're burning time on us now, Beckler. You're burning time on us. (laughs) You said Penguins. I'll give you this one because you said Cardinals, but there are two Cardinals. Okay. Okay, So uh, you got both Cardinals. You said Falcons. You said Ravens. You said Eagles. I don't don't think we we said said Ravens. Ravens. You just just gave us Ah! Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for the Ravens. I mean, (laughs) we totally said Ravens. (laughs) (laughs) Orioles, Cardinals, Blue Jays. So you're missing just one. You said Baltimore Orioles. Okay. So Ravens. How you doing for time? You got 20 seconds. Can you narrow it down for us to the sport? Yeah, what league? Uh, They're an NFL team. NFL team. You said Cardinals. Oh man, Falcons, Ravens, Eagles. Yeah, this is my least strong category. Oh, Seahawks. There you go. Wow! Wow! Look at that! And just under the minute 30. Look at that! Nice work! Nice work!
1: The Begler and Shauna podcast. Etymology with Shauna.
0: Shauna's away, but that doesn't mean that we can't do a bit of etymologizing still. And today, we're looking into the origin of the word "kidnap," as in "Andy up, yap that fool." Andy up, kidnap that fool.
1: fool. fool. fool.
0: What an aggressive threat! Hey, (laughs) if someone was like, "I'll kidnap you," I would, uh, I'd back off. I wouldn't mess with that person. We were watching a movie the other night, though, and in the movie, someone got kidnapped. It was one of the characters. And my son, Bo, he said, I thought kidnapping only referred to like when kids get taken. And I was like, that's a good question. Like, when did that change where kidnapping came to encompass anybody who is like forcibly seized and confined? Uh, so I looked into it. And I mean, first, the kid in kidnap, uh, the word kid comes from like a young goat, right? You probably knew that. Uh, And even when we say, like, handle something with kid gloves, some people think that means to, like, be gentle like you would with a child. But no, it's because you're talking about soft gloves, soft, delicate gloves made of the skin of a young goat. Those are kid gloves. Common misconception. Um, But I couldn't find out exactly when kidnap shifted between, like, referring specifically to seizing a child to anybody, it's not entirely clear, um, but it basically is like kidnap. Kidnap is where is where it started. It was the nab part was originally nab is into seize, and then it morphed from there to become kidnapper. And the term's been around for a long time, but there is no indication as to why we started using kidnapper to refer to someone of any age who gets taken with Shauna, the Beckler and Shauna podcast. This past week on the show, Shauna and I have been talking about how nightclubs used to be before cell phones, when people could really let loose, when people still smoked in the nightclubs. And front of the show, Van sent us a message and said, "Wow, you took me down memory lane with the club discussion. My clubbing days were from 1994 to 2002, darting and drinking on the dance floor." Uh, I was a regular at a big club and being considered a local was a status symbol. Then some poser would invite you to their club where they were a local. Once you get there, you laugh it off. This is a small place. You probably became a local on your second visit, says Van. He said, and then he realized he was a club snob. And it's kind of amazing to me that we have never done club snobs because, I mean, snobbery is kind of what clubs are all about. Being seen. Seeing and being seen, you know, getting into VIP, skipping the line, who's there, who's... It it all goes hand in hand with the nightclub experience. Club snobs. So before Shauna left yesterday, I was like, we got to do club snobs. Oh, you think I'm going to stand in line and pay cover like a loser?
1: I. Enter clubs through the back door. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're in my booth. It's an unwritten rule that that's my booth. Yes,
0: well, if I'm not at a private VIP section, I am
1: out of there. You think I came to a nightclub to be around other people? <laughs> I'm sorry. Didn't you wear that shirt last week? I have a designated clubbing shirt for every day of the year. Yes, well, the clubs I patron don't even have names <laughs> if you don't
0: already know about them you clearly aren't who we're looking for
1: <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a club it's a lifestyle experience the exclusive diddle on the dance floor experience who fought <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, oh, <laughs> 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 on the dance it floor me <laughs> Learn Podcast. Hey, hey, what did you learn today? I was just reading about some different ways that people used to try and get the smell of smoke out of their houses and their hair. And this was, of course, at the time when people would smoke indoors a lot more and that sort of thing. First of all, there's this stuff that actually still exists that's hilarious, but it's called Smoke Blaster Odor Neutralizer Spray. And it is it's like a hairspray that you can toss on your hair and it's supposed to help remove the smoke or on your clothing or whatever else. But Smoke Blaster smoke Blaster. still exists, which that's interesting to me. Pretty uh,
0: funny name for your foofer, too.
1: Oh, yeah, it really is. <laughs> your old Smoke, smoke Blaster, Blaster. That's a great one, actually. Um, and then, of course, there's the ozone machines now that people can okay. buy. And those are supposed to permanently remove smokes. So they're saying, like, even after a fire and stuff, those will be effective enough to fully remove the smell of smoke. Wow. Because um, that is a powerful smell. It is a very powerful smell. And that's the why a lot of the times they're saying, like... You can try and use white vinegar and stuff, but really, you're going to have to repaint your house, mm-hmm. reupholster eventually. But then there's this uh, fancy tobacco smoke air purifier that you can buy. It's a $1,600 dedicated tobacco smoke air purifier that you can toss in your house and that's supposed to really help remove the smoke. God, you gotta be hard on the darts, don't Holy you? Holy crap, do you ever. spend
0: 1600 bucks just not smelling like it?
1: That's just, you know, <laughs> Terry wants to dart inside but people are telling him not to, so instead he darts inside and then uses this.
0: <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I love Google Maps. I was just clicking around today on Google Maps and if you're familiar with Alaska, there's this like long tail of islands that stretch out into the Bering Sea. They're called the Aloysian Islands and The furthest one out is called Atu Island. It's the westernmost point in the United States, Mm -hmm. and it's like a 1,000 miles from the Alaskan mainland. But I I zoomed in on this place because I was like, okay, what's going on in this little island? And I saw something called the Atu Atu Battlefield. I was like, what's the Atu Battlefield? So I started reading about it, and during World War II, there was a two-week-long battle there between the Japanese and Americans with support uh, from the from Canadian aircraft. Wow. And they fought it out in the snow there over this island, which they saw as a strategic position uh, in the Pacific. And eventually the Japanese were hemmed in. It looked like they were going to lose. There was no hope of rescue. So they did a bonsai charge and just like ran straight at the Americans. And there was a big battle there. And uh, the Americans eventually won. And that was the end of that. But like when you when you zoom in onto this battlefield, you can see all the remnants of the fortifications Crazy. that they had dug in on this island. Like it, it wow. even from the air, it looks like a battlefield. Like it's all pockmarked and you can see um, some of the, the trenches they had dug to hide in there. And, um, and it's in the middle of freaking nowhere. Like That's it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's very cool. I had no idea this battle happened. They say it's the only uh, battle between the Americans and the Japanese that was fought in snow because hmm. the rest was all in the right. tropical conditions of the Pacific theater. Uh, but very good. The things you can learn when you just like, hey, what's this little speck of land here? Oh. I'm going to zoom in, and then you learn a little bit of history there, well, too. Not later. You've been
1: listening to the Beckler and Shauna podcast, brought to you by Shane
0: Holmes, offering affordable customization on your new home.
1: You want more? Then tune in to X Mornings with Beckler and Shauna live on Calgary's Alternative, X929. Monday through Friday, 6 to 10 a.m. Mountain Time at x929.ca. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and have Beckler and Shauna download it daily to whatever device
0: you use later after hours with mariah and ty a weekly podcast that brings this dynamic duo to another level of awesome and allows you to listen on your own terms go behind the curtain and hear the stuff you won't hear on the radio like they're gonna say find after
1: hours with mariah and ty wherever you get your podcasts